0: This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for Ken Griffey Jr.'s strikeout totals or Manny Ramirez's fielding percentage, this is not the place. But if you want to know how much these guys get paid to not play baseball and other regrettable choices, Welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci.
1: And I'm Mark Butler.
0: And today, we are warming the bench on the therapist's couch. Welcome to Bad Hops.
1: Happy Bobby Bonilla Day, Jackie.
0: Is it Bobby Benilla Day? I think it passed, but that's it's
1: okay. Not, it's a, you know, it's not. But It is. I mean, I felt bad about sending you these belated well wishes, but then I have to say, I actually feel like my thoughts are far more sincere and appropriate several weeks late. You know, in this case, I think a deferred sentiment feels right.
0: It, I think in- so, actually. You're right. You're yeah.
1: right. It's the spirit of the holiday.
0: It really is. It really is. Can I read you some some Bobby Benilla based facts that I, that I found?
1: Oh, I hoped I was hoping you'd read me uh, from the all the Bobby Bonilla Day cards that you got. But yeah, go ahead and we can, you know, we can do the Hallmark cards later.
0: I mean, I love getting the Bobby Bonilla cards. I mean, they're, I just like hope my mantle is covered with them. But here are some interesting facts about Bobby Bonilla. Ronald Acuna Jr. signed an eight-year, $100 million extension with the Braves, and that's through 2028. Wanda Franco signed an 11 year 182 million extension with the Rays, and that's through 2033. Our boy Fernando Tatis Jr. signed a 14 year 340 million extension with the Padres through 2034. Bobby Benilla will still be getting paid by the Mets after all these contracts expire because his contract runs through 2035.
1: It is very easy to make fun of the whole Bobby Bonilla situation because the Mets are still on the hook for paying a 60-year-old baseball player, a retired baseball player. I think he retired in 2000, or he left the Mets in the year 2000. He did, yes. And he is still going to get a paycheck through 2035. So yeah, he'll get paid after all of these other superstars that you mentioned are going to get paid. He is going to be 75 years old i think they should make him take the field i think so too on bobby bonilla day july 1st 2035. i would love to see that so what the heck is going on why is this happening so the mets way back in the day back when 5.9 million dollars was a lot of money in baseball instead of buying out bonilla's contract in the year 2000 for that amount the Mets agreed to make annual payments of $1.2 million a year for 25 years, as long as they could wait, I think, like 11 years to start paying. And so 8% interest was factored in. I had absolutely forgotten that one of the reasons the Mets did this is because they were in such financial hot water because they had invested, the owners of the Mets had invested so much of their own money in a Bernie Madoff scheme yeah, and the thought was that, oh, well, we'll get the money from Bernie Madoff, and then well, we can worry <laughs> about Bobby Benilla and things like that. Well, oh, the Will um, Ponds. the willpons are still waiting for their money, but Bobby Benilla is not no. he's he's getting paid. they're the Mets are living up to what they're doing.
0: Do you have thoughts on deferred payments? because I think there, there there is more of these deferred contracts that are that are coming up now. do you What do you think? Because I know there's some thinking that you don't want to get? paid uh today and tomorrow's money but what what do you what do you think do you think it's good for the player bad for the player good for the organization
1: i think when you look at this sort of situation right this like okay i don't remember was bobby Benilla good i barely remember like i i, I now don't. know him because he's the guy that makes a, a million plus a year i
0: mean he must have been decent and i i and i should recall this having being from new york and knowing a little bit about the Mets, but let, let me see what his stats were.
1: Although it seems awful. It's like, that. you know, what are the Mets truly tied up? Can they not sign other players because of this Bobby Bonilla deal? Obviously not. I mean, like Steve Cohen. Not now. <laughs> yeah. Steve Cohen, who we give a lot of of grief on this podcast because this guy, you know, has overspent his way into pretty much last place in the nl east but i will give him credit he's been a good sport about celebrating bobby Bonilla day and actually being a good sport about paying a guy who left the team 20 years before steve bought it i don't think a deferred contract is necessarily the worst thing to do i -hmm. think it's it's a way if if the player is amenable if that is a way for the team to sign a superstar who then would get paid for the rest of his life not just for the rest of his career but if it frees up salary money to bring in other good talents what if a rod had accepted that kind of a deal with the rangers because you know the whole deal when a rod was signed as a free agent with the the rangers back in the early 2000s they literally couldn't afford to pay any other good players (laughs) they they were So strapped for cash. It's like if A-Rod had said, I will take five million a year for the next 30 years, please get me a Cy Young caliber pitcher. We might have been talking about the Rangers 20 years ago instead of just now.
0: Those of us who are fans of baseball all remember when uh, that A-Rod to Texas contract came up because texas had famously needed pitching for for a while so and yet they committed all this money to alex rodriguez and it just it's like well can he pitch though i mean he was a great hitter but can he pitch so that was definitely an interesting contract and i think they i mean the Yankees might still be paying alex rodriguez that's the other thing too i mean bobby Benilla is definitely uh, that's One of the biggest, longest contracts, but there are definitely guys who are no longer playing that teams are paying because the economics of baseball where it's like, well, sure, I'm going to pay this guy a lot of money until he's 40. But by the time he's 40, his contract is going to be a bargain compared to what the young guys are getting now. It's interesting tactic. But I mean, sure, I wouldn't mind like every year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, this is the year I get another an extra one point one million dollars in my bank account.
1: It's Jackie McCucci Day, everybody.
0: <laughs> if only. But yeah, he was uh, a good player. He was, you know, he uh, career, I mean, not, you know, earth shattering, but he was a two seventy-nine average and eight twenty-nine OPS. So he was a, you know, definitely a, a decent, decent player. He's what, 60 years old now, by the way, just so what, you know.
1: <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, what was his slash line last year?
0: <laughs> I think you know. Zeros yeah. across the board.
1: Zero, zeros across the board. You know, I was thinking, when when is this appropriate? I think if you have a great player, not a mm-hmm. good player, but a truly great player that is also the face of the franchise. Yes. Right. But I think then, like, can you collaborate? Can you say... I wish we could pay you now, but I, I think we'd all rather be wearing rings, right? Right, right. So let's defer some of your salary. You'll, you're going to get it. You're going to get the interest payments. We're going to win, but we're going to bring on the the people that we need. A-Rod should have looked at that p- pitching rotation and said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You do need pitching. But the face of the franchise, and I think if you're paying somebody until they're 75 years old, Maybe make that person the ongoing face of the franchise. You know, you see here in Seattle, we have Ichiro come back. We have Edgar Martinez come back. We have Ken Griffey Jr. come back. We don't owe these guys any money, but we want them to be Mariners for life, even though Edgar was the only one that was truly, from that list, was a Mariner for life. Also, I think you might just want to make sure that they pass a background check because the last thing you want to do is pay somebody that's going to have personal problems. And and this this is not a reflection on anybody that we're mentioning here, but we know that there's some past players with substance issues or Mm -hmm. domestic violence issues. And it's like, imagine if you commit to paying somebody 30 years, and then there's a domestic abuser day that your team quote unquote celebrates for the next 30 years. So just, yeah, make sure they're a good citizen. I think Bobby Mania is a, a a perfectly upstanding fellow, as far as I know.
0: Never heard anything bad about him, other than uh, the fact that he's still getting paid one point one million dollars a year. But like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Go, Bob. Yeah,
1: you, you know what I've heard about Bobby Benilla. He apparently was a very patient person in the first apparently. decade of the century, and, and now he's a very wealthy person uh, for the remainder of his life. I, I would believe. You mentioned in the intro a couple names, so I just want to give. Did. I want to give the business here. Ken Griffey Jr. is still owed $3.5 million per year until he's 53. Now, I already just, I i ruined the surprise because I said the Mariners don't owe him any money. The Reds do. When is the last time you thought about Jr. as a Cincinnati Red in the last 10 years?
0: You kind of forget, right? Then he did spend a fair amount of time in Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I think like eight years or something like that. But yeah. the, Reds, the Reds didn't get anything out of him then. And they're not getting anything out of him now. You know, I don't know what the Mariners are paying him. I, I assume that, you know, maybe he's making close to a million dollars a year just to be like the the kid showing up at Mariners games and taking a bow in front of everybody. It, but it's a personal services contract. He's still working for the Mariners.
0: Right. And he's still very much beloved in, in Seattle. I mean, he's a beloved player in general. He is very much so when people are asked, what's your favorite player who is not on the team you root for? So many people of a certain generation will say Ken Griffey Jr.,
1: you know, I always say Ken Griffey Sr. (laughs) Actually, I really did like Ken Griffey Sr. When I was a kid, like the Reds were just like larger than life and and pretty exciting to watch. Can't wrap up this segment, though, without talking about Manny Ramirez. Manny Manny being Manny. Manny Manny getting a Manny Petty. Um, (laughs) The Red Sox still owe Manny $2 million a year until he's 51. You know, at least I will say the Red Sox do have a little good history with Manny, although I feel like there's a lot of people that have a little like wobbly history with Manny as well.
0: I mean, he was the cornerstone of those beginning championship teams. So, I mean, you know, he 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 was an exciting player and he was definitely his own person. So as much as I hated seeing him on the other side of uh, the playing field, he was always, always he was. Never dull to watch. I just put it that way.
1: Agreed. Jackie, I, I do need to tell you before we take our break and get into the the meat of oh, we haven't even talked about what we're talking about today. Yeah, what are we talking if about? It wasn't, if it wasn't clear, we're talking about lingering regrets. What a happy, joyous baseball topic. But you know what? If you don't have lingering regrets, you're not a baseball fan. No, and that's, you... that's, that's my personal opinion.
0: No. And you might even have regrets right now that are not lingering, but maybe lingering in the future. I know I do.
1: Because you're listening to the Bad Hobbs podcast. That's right. You may have That's regrets it. that you're listening to us, but uh, you can always, you know, just click the like button and turn it off. That's okay. Right. You have our permission. For sure.
0: I always think of that typo in the tattoo. No regrets. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do want to say I today I had a big surprise plan for you. You did. Uh, I wanted to give you one million one hundred ninety three thousand two hundred forty eight dollars and twenty cents to celebrate (gasps) Bobby Bonilla Day. But I thought it might be more appropriate if I waited until 2045 to give it to you to really soak up the true spirit of the holiday. So anyway, happy Bobby Bonilla Day, Jackie.
0: Thanks, Mark.
1: Jackie, we're kind of in the middle innings of the podcast and we're talking about lingering regrets. So far, we've only talked about regrets that the Mets have. Mm -hmm. As I alluded to before the break, you're not a baseball fan if you don't have some sort of lingering regrets. You could be a, a team owner, you could be a player, you could be a fan, but you have one of the most interesting World Series ever. There's That's always right. reg- always regrets in the World Series, but this one maybe more so than normal.
0: That's right. I'm talking about the 1994 World Series. Remember the 1994 World Series? Do you? I, no, you don't.
1: <laughs> no, if you I, do, I, I'm worried. I, I, I had front row tickets. That was amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah, if you remember that World Series, I, I've got I've got a bridge to sell you. 1994. World Series did not take place because there was a player's strike. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what could have been the 1994 World Series. You know what, I'm going to cite my sources uh, at the end. I did a lot of deep diving into Baseball Almanac, Baseball Reference, Wikipedia, all those, um, but I have a couple of articles which I'll reference at the end, um, not to give away too much of what I'm talking about. So in 1994, The baseball season ended on August 12th because of the player strike. And the player strike didn't end until April 2nd, 1995. After 232 days, it was the longest strike in MLB history. As a result, there were no playoffs and no World Series champion was crowned, making it the first time in 90 years. That was since 1904 that a World Series was not played.
1: 1904 was oh, yeah that was, a, that was a great year for baseball Come on, mark though. you
0: should you should you should yeah. know about you should tell me about 1904.
1: oh god i mean smiling tim keith i think was still alive and <laughs> rocking that mustache so yeah 90 years i'm gonna bring it back to 1994 that's old okay. enough for me it today. is
0: it is i'm gonna talk about the two teams that were the best teams in their respective leagues who most likely but you know anything can happen in the playoffs but most likely would have made the World Series. And I'm talking about first going to talk about, of course, the Yankees, because as you say, it's always about the Yankees for me.
1: It is always about the Yankees for you. But continue. They have to play someone. They do have to play someone. It's true. So the
0: 1994 Yankees were led by Buck Showalter, who would later be named manager of the year.
1: Oh, the guy on the, from Seinfeld.
0: The guy from Seinfeld. Yes, he did appear on Seinfeld. That is true. <laughs> On the day the strike began, the Yankees had a record of 70 and 43, and they were six and a half games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. They were the best team in the American League, also topping in the AL. This is going to tell you how, well, actually, some of these have turned around. The White Sox topped the Central at 67 wow. and 46, and Texas, and now we've swung around. Texas was leading the West, but their record was 52 and 62. Oof! Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that that actually sounds like the uh, AL Central of today.
0: Yep. Yes. That. Yeah. There was a, a period of time where the AL West was not particularly good, and this was that that time period. Yep and now the yankees who had not been very good in the 80s they were pretty they were pretty crappy in the 80s you
1: you heard it here first folks jackie said the yankees (laughs) weren't very good
0: look i'm gonna be honest when my team sucks my my team sucks right now i'm gonna be honest i'm not gonna paint a rosy picture if it's not true but those those teams were tough and this 94 team they were on up they were on pace to win 100 games for the first time since 1980. The team had beloved player Don Mattingly, Donnie Baseball. He was the captain.
1: Oh, so speaking, speaking of awesome mustaches. Oh, no, exactly. no, not with the Yankees, right?
0: No, he did have a mustache with the Yankees. Okay. You can have a mustache. You cannot have a mustache and beard, which is the stu- I'm sorry. It is the stupidest rule. Don't get me started on that rule because I think they, the guy should be allowed to have beards. I don't really don't get it. But whatever. That's a discussion for another time. Um, Mattingly had not played in the postseason his entire career because he was on these really crappy Yankee teams and he was poised in 1994 to possibly be in his first postseason Mattingly would see the postseason in 1995 the year that he retired after that year so thanks to the wild card the Yankees were in in the playoffs but they would ultimately lose to your Seattle Mariners that year.
1: And to I think that was an Arod team, if memory serves.
0: Yeah, I think that was a pretty loaded team. That that uh, like they, the Mariners have also I think you going to tangent here, but the Mariners have had some good teams. They had a good they had a good team back in, in this period of time during the nineties, and then I think you're going to talk about another period of time when they <laughs> Spoiler
1: had. Spoiler alert: They had some bad teams, and then had. some more bad teams, and so on.
0: It's always interesting to look back and see what could have been. Speaking of which, okay, so let's look at the Yankees starting lineup in 1994.
1: Oh, do do the Bob Shepard voice.
0: The left fielder, Luis Polano, yeah? Wait, I did that wrong. I couldn't, do, I couldn't say it. Polano. I couldn't say it in his voice. I'll do. The third I'm, fe- I'm baseman,
1: feeling this, though.
0: <laughs> the third baseman, Wade Boggs. Third base, Wade Box. I don't remember what number he wore because usually he would say the number, and I, I'm not like a, yeah. a numbers geek. But just number, to give you number two,
1: Derek, Derek Cheeters. Num-
0: number two. Wade Box is seeing 342 at this point. Mattingly, who was the first baseman, um, longtime Yankee, he was. Despite being plagued with back issues, he was hit. He was hitting 304. In fact, the only light hitting player on this team was Michael Galeago, who was hitting 239. Everyone else was hitting like solid in the 300s. This was like a a loaded lineup. This was a true Yankee team.
1: Beastly team.
0: Exactly. Paul O'Neill, 359. He had come in the year before, speaking of Cincinnati, having been traded from the Cincinnati Reds. Bernie Williams, very young Bernie Williams, switch hitter,
1: guitar He's playing
0: player. guitar player now. Now that's what he concentrates on his music. He hit two, he was hitting 289 and he was just a baby at that point. They were patient hitters. They took their walks. Polana provided a decent amount of speed. Um Boggs and Mattingly—they were great contact hitters. Contact hitters, remember those contact hitters?
1: <laughs> I missed the slap single. Those are the best.
0: So much fun. Danny Charnival was on this team, although he was—he was a—he was, was a three true outcomes kind of guy. He hit a lot of home runs. He drew some walks, and he struck out a lot as well. So, but you know, that's—he was who he was. As I said, Paul O'Neill—he ended up winning the AL batting crown that year. Mike Stanley also had a breakout year. He was the catcher. Um, In fact, he led all AL catchers in war. This was a loaded team, and even their bench was loaded, with the exception of Daryl Boston, who I do not remember. Um, He was a lefty outfielder who was just hitting 182. But they had Randy Velarde. They had Jim Lairitz. They had Gerald Williams on their bench. These were bench players.
1: You make it sound like they could have gone all the way, Jack. They
0: could have gone all the way. Now, the pitching, you know, and this is always a thing with the Yankee teams, even when they were winning um, all the championships, their pitching was, was was okay. It was a good pitching staff. It was not like, you know, we're not talking about like uh, Maddox, Smoltz, and uh, the Braves, who also were, were – uh, a big deal during this period of time. The Yankees uh, prize free agent acquisition of 1993 was lefty Jimmy Key. He was absolutely the ace of the staff. Um, and he came in second that year for AL Cy Young award vote. Key, by the way, uh, had played for the Toronto Blue Jays when they won, Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series 1992.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, those early 90s Blue Jays. My goodness. They, won, or a- they
0: went back to back. They won two World Series. Did they not? Am I, I think so.
1: Yeah. They were like 90 to 93. I feel like they just sort of owned the world. They not always World Series caliber. But, yeah, they were they were a great team.
0: The rest of the pitching, they had Jim Abbott, who was a, who was a solid lefty. Uh, they had Melito Perez, Scott Kemenecki, who were fine. They had a decent bullpen as well. They had, um, Steve Howe, who became, who became, I think, their, their closer. This was in the years pri- prior to John Wetland and Mariano Rivera, because they would get Wetland from the team we're going to talk about next. Next year. So this was before these two guys. Um, they had actually slotted in Xavier Hernandez to be the uh, the closer, but Steve Howe, at the end of his career, you know, sometimes these guys, especially back then at the end of their careers, they were effective closers. But the strength of this team was offense. This would be the first of a long string of Yankee lineups that could consistently wear down pitchers until they got into trouble and handed the game over to the bullpen. And traditionally, not like today, because today it's very different, right? Bullpen guys are throwing over 100 miles an hour. But back in the day, especially if you were getting into middle relief, you were getting into the crap part of the, your, oh,
1: yeah. the, the just pitching the, staff. Just the grinders and like, yeah, and you could wear those guys down very quickly. Very quickly,
0: as a team, they ranked first in the majors in batting average, on base percentage, and OPS plus. The only team, and this is gonna, this is another way back machine. The only team to score more runs than them were the Cleveland Indians, not the prior to them becoming the Guardians. Remember when Cleveland could mash? I mean, now they're a light hitting team, but there was a time when they were they were uh, big scary bats.
1: Yeah, they were they were beasts as well,
0: for sure. So the Yankees, they, they definitely flirted with, with scoring. They could have flirted with scoring 1,000 runs that year. Now, it would have been fun to see the Yankees get into the World Series, but we don't know what would have happened. But we do know it would have been likely that they would have faced the Montreal Expos that year. Who? The Les Expos.
1: Oh, thank you. Qu'est-ce que the, c'est? Les, les Expos <laughs> de Montreal? De Montreal. Oui, oui. Très bien. <laughs>
0: No, I was originally just going to focus on the Yankees, but when I saw who was so good in 1994 on the National League side, I had to talk about the Expos. Well, and of I course,
1: mean, the, you know, the Expos had a storied history of uh, winning World Series and uh, contending in the playoffs year after year, right? Oh. oh,
0: totally. No, no, no. Sadly, no. But the Expos, at the time of the strike, they had the best record in baseball. They were 74 and 40. So, yeah, 74 and 40. The rest of the National League, just to kind of tie a bow on it, uh, the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, were leading the National League Central at 66 and 48. And the Dodgers over in the West were at 58 and 56. So they
1: were just so-so.
0: The manager of the Expos that year was Felipe Alou, dad of Moises Alou, who was also on the team.
1: Brother of Maddie. That's
0: there you go. Uh, Felipe Lu also won Manager of the Year for on the NL side that year.
1: Because honestly, they, I think if you ever got the Expos that good, you should win Manager of the Year
0: for sure. But I mean, when I was doing some digging, the Expos were actually they were strong. They were a strong club in the late '90s and the early '80s, and they appeared to be going in a great direction during this time in the 90s. They were really good at scouting and player development. The first group of competitive expo clubs featured homegrown talent like Andre Dawson, Gary Carter, Tim Raines, Ellis Valentine, Warren Cromartie, Larry Parrish, and Steve Rogers. The second group, well, let me just list the name of, of, of these guys. Larry Walker, Marquise Crisham, Will Cordero, and Cliff Floyd, they were all homegrown expos.
1: The expos were a study in, should have been a lot better. And yeah, I think 94 was a year that broke the heart of Canada.
0: As well, it should have. And they make great trade acquisitions. They had from they had Ken Hill, they had Moises Alou, Jeff Viserio, John Wetland, and of course a very young Pedro Martinez, who I hadn't realized the Expos got from the Dodgers, and they traded their homegrown second baseman Delano De for Pedro.
1: As a Chicago resident and Cubs fans, I know like those guys would cross my path, and I would regret having to. Deal with them because they were good.
0: They were good. And they were a young team to the Expos. Uh, In 1994, the average age of the Expos was 26.2 years old. They were by far the youngest team in baseball and over two years younger than the league average, which was 28.3 years. Pedro and Cordero were both 22. Floyd was just 21. Alou, Grisham, Walker, and, and Fletcher, as well as... John Wetland, Mel Rojas, Jeff Shaw, and Tim Scott were all age 27. So they were all, these guys were in their prime. These were like prime guys. Their five primary starting pitchers started 102 of their 114 games. Their top 10 pitchers threw all but 54 and two-thirds of the club's innings pitched at that point. I mean, that's a staff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is good stuff.
0: It is good stuff. Their closer was John Wetland, who would, as I said, later be traded to the Yankees the following year. But more on that a little, bit, a little bit later. They ended up finishing first in the National League in ERA. They racked up the third most strikeouts and walked the fewest batters. Eight of their 10 pitchers posted ERAs lower than league average. And all of them were great, except for their fifth starter, who was Kirk Reuter. But like fifth starters, who cares, right? Fifth starters are right. fifth starters.
1: Well, I mean, I it doesn't it doesn't matter once you get to the World Series. Oops.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, and they were good. like as I said, they were pretty good on the um, uh, on the the hitting side of the field, on the offensive side. They finished third in the National League and run scored second in batting average, third in um, on base percentage and fourth in slugging. So that's you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. They were also, they were fast. They finished first in the National League in stolen bases. They had a combined 137 stolen bases by the time the, the strike hit. With an exceptional 79.2% team success rate, there were seven players with double-digit steal totals. So, I mean, this was an exciting, fun team. They could pitch, they could hit, they could run. So you might say, I mean, they were as good as the Yankees were in 94, this team was poised to make a deep playoff run just by all the stats that you see here. Sadly, though, the 1994 World Series did not occur. And these were two franchises that after that year went in two entirely different directions. The Yankees would go on to win four World Series during that that period after after the strike. The expos, they would just get gutted and and decimated. And at some point, Loria, um, Jeffrey Loria owned them, which I had forgotten about. And oh, right, they just yeah. the league owned the team at a certain point. They just they just gutted the team, they mismanaged the team, the fans stopped, stopped coming, and then eventually the team went away. And now they're the Washington Nationals, but
1: uh, it's another very... another tale, of woe, another tale for, of woe except for the one year
0: well they did at least win a World Series so there's that so That's I mean true. and and they did start off with you know some very exciting players right you know in in the uh, in the beginning stages of their existence but it's really sad when when I saw this uh, um because I do even as a kid remember the Expos being being um a good team being a decent team um a competitive team and really it's just they just decide it's just bad ownership and you know Selig was also culpable they didn't want they really didn't want the team to be in Montreal they wanted to move it somewhere else and they just decided they would just crap all over the fan base and and basically use the team as trade bait for other teams and well I
1: mean a a lingering regret that we aren't really getting into today but man when it City loses a team, or yeah. when a country loses a team, the MLB cut the number of Canadian teams in half, yeah when they engineered the deal to get the Expos out of Montreal and turn them into the nationals. It was sad. and i I, I know that at some point the the fans did turn their back on the team, but for good reason, because they had they were getting screwed. And I think it's the aftermath of the strike is you're going to get into. It broke a lot of hearts and it, w- it made it hard for people to come back. And when you, when fans have lingering regrets, sometimes it's a tough claw back in to get fans back in the stadium and watching it on TV.
0: For sure. But of course, we had a home run chase that happened. Um, yeah. Steroids, steroids be aside, but we had the ho- home run chase between McGuire and Sosa we had a lot of guys mashing we had um we had great yankee teams we had great teams you know we the braves were also a juggernaut with their pitching so after the strike there was there was a lot of uh we eventually got to some goodwill building uh building some some great baseball years, but man, like I would have loved to have seen the the Expos in the World Series against my Yankees, even not against my Yankees, because they certainly sounded like quite the team. I mean, who doesn't want, who wouldn't want to watch a 22-year-old Pedro Martinez pitch?
1: Well, and I think we were also so close in theory, not in practice, but in theory, to a Expos Blue Jays face-off too, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Blue Jays were you know, starting to cool off at that point in time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, imagine an all Canada World Series, it would be the first World Series
0: that's right a truly a world series although everybody would get their their knickers in a twist about that as we know
1: people I heard that Canada was a small market
0: <laughs> Toronto very small market correct <laughs> But yeah so that was that's my lingering regret that we didn't get a 19 I mean I, wh- whoever made it whoever got there it's just a travesty that there is a year in our lives that a world series did not occur ridiculous when you think about it
1: I think we always come down pro union on this particular podcast but at some point the fans get forgotten in the process and it is sad because what could have happened right and i it the, of course this is also what baseball fans do is they what if right uh, until the cows come home and then you have lingering regrets about staying up until the cows came home
0: the Expos could have gone and won the World Series, and they still could have, like, ripped that franchise apart. I mean, we saw Loria do it with the Marlins on, t- on two occasions, where they, you know, 97 and, what was it, 2003, when those, those yeah. teams that won the World Series with those great players basically have a fire sale the year after. Like, why have any goodwill with the fans? Why let them celebrate, have a year to bask in their glory of, of their team winning a World Series? Let's just rip them apart immediately.
1: Yeah, sorry. That's- That's that is uh, I I mean, I hope they made up for that in T-shirt sales that said uh, 1997 World Champions in Florida.
0: So, yes, that's my lingering regret, Mark.
1: One of them. Just one one of them. them,
0: But thought this was a more intriguing
1: one. We are full of calluses. We are full of bruises that have not yet healed. That's what we do as baseball fans. Uh, This game sucks sometimes. It
0: does. It does. Oh, and I wanted to cite my two sources. There were two great articles I found. Uh, One, believe it or not, was a Fortune magazine. No, I'm sorry, a Forbes magazine article. Once Upon a Fractured Season by uh, Tony Blangino. And then a 2014 article on Pinstripe Alley by Jim Griffin entitled The Very Exciting, A Look at the 1994
1: Yankees. Wow. I love those those vivid titles i would have clicked on that even if i wasn't interested and it was about the yankees so i guess i wasn't but now i i can't wait with a title like that so you've aired some of your regrets i think let's let's go outside let's take a deep breath let's collect ourselves and see if we can make it through the rest of the episode when we come back
0: Okay, Mark, I did my airing of the grievances. I, th- I think you have a, a couple of regrets you want to, or one, one big regret that you want to focus on?
1: Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Yeah, if we're talking regrets, let's talk about some of the true regrets of being a baseball fan. Jackie, do you know I've never had a team win the World Series in my life?
0: None of the teams that you ever rooted for?
1: After I switched sides and swapped allegiances and things like that. But yeah, don't go to the horse track with me because I'm clearly not going to pick a winner. I grew up a Royals fan in the George Brett era, which is a good time to be a Royals fan, right? For sure. But by 1985, when the Royals finally sealed the deal against the Cardinals, you know, they, they fell short in 1980. And I remember staying up late to watch all those games against the Phillies, but yeah. In 1985, they played the Cardinals in the I-70 series, another imaginably named <laughs> a topic. By that point, I'd already been seduced by the prospect of skipping sixth period in high school and going to my friend Keith's house to watch Cubs games on WGN with Harry Carey. So I'd ah, turned my Harry back Patrick. on the Royals by 1985. My goodness, that was a lesson in how much fun baseball could be. Royals games were good, and they were good. Good sporting events, but yeah, you watch those day games on WGN back in the 80s, and it's like, it doesn't even matter if they're playing baseball. This just looks like the place to be. Oh, yeah. I honestly do think those games were a huge influence on me actually moving to Chicago after I graduated from college. You know, I love the idea of lovable losers as the Cubs were known for decades right and i I, you know talk about regrets it's like being a cubs fan from 1906 for about 100 plus years the lovable losers are as close as baseball comes to reaching a bookish punk nerd like me wait till next year was such an easy cop-out that's you know the cubs slogan because they knew they weren't going to do it this year you just say it fast wait till next year get it over with I hung in there with the Cubs for almost 20 years. And then of course I bailed on them before the much less lovable sabermetrics and salary-driven Northsiders won it finally in 2016. Because I'd fallen under the sway of the Seattle Mariners. Fun fact, Jackie, and not a lot of people know this. The Seattle Mariners have never played in the World Series.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really, I yeah, I had I think I had heard that.
1: But another fun fact, the 2001 Seattle Mariners are probably the best team I've ever seen. My God, John Olerud, Edgar Martinez, Mark McElmore, uh, Mike Cameron, Jamie Moyer, and Ichiro, like a little baby Ichiro. I mean, he was like 28, but, you know, he was a rookie that year. Like, mean, what a team. And that team worked so well together. There weren't any real superstars, but there were no duds. And there's certainly some Hall of Famers in that mix. They won 116 games that year, tied for the most wins in a season ever. The 2001 Mariners were amazing. But, of course, we're talking about lingering regrets today, so I'm not going to talk about the 2001 Mariners. Nope. I'm here to talk about the 2002 Mariners. It's been, like, 21 years, and I'm still kind of like, oh, dang. (laughs) Congratulations, Howard Lincoln, the owner's... I guess he was the president of the team, and Pat Gillick, general manager. You've put together the greatest team in baseball, even in the wake of losing Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, A-Rod. But I have to amend that. The greatest regular season team in baseball. The Mariners fell short in the postseason. They didn't even make it to the World Series when they had the best team they ever had.
0: Who did they lose in the playoffs to? Who was that that they lost to in the playoffs? I don't remember now.
1: I mean, I bas- basically I feel like to everybody, to America's team. I yes, mean, they, they lost yeah. to the Yankees in the American League Championship Series. That's also a fun fact, I guess.
0: It is a fun fact, and I mean, I think what's what's sad is that they did. I think they did they win the most, or they tied the most. Or I thought they had won the most regular season games. Uh, tied,
1: t- tied ironically with the Chicago Cubs of yore, I think from like 19- okay. maybe 1908 or something like that.
0: Because I think the Yankees had the, uh, Ameri- they had the American League record in 98, but nobody ever remembers that the Mariners were better because the Yankees won the World Series that year. And they ended up winning 125 games in total, including the postseason. Just going to throw that out there, but it's
1: OK. Well, I'm...
0: Just poking, the, poking you. Sorry.
1: I'm having some lingering regrets about this episode, and that I'm <laughs> sorry, unable to sorry. unable to pull the microphone out of its plug for, for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know lingering regrets. I know I'm an obnoxious fan. Hey, look, things suck right now for me, uh, but I, at least I have the past. <laughs> okay.
1: that, that, that's that's true. Yeah, you have uh, you have so many rings technically that you would need to grow like a like what like a fifth set of hands. you up to like like 27 something like that yeah
0: 27
1: (laughs) yeah 27 but who's counting
0: could have been 28 94 no go ahead
1: (laughs) so it's the dark the dark seattle autumn of october of 2001 what do you do next how do you build the bestest mariners ever based on what we saw in 2001 you don't do anything honestly i can't really argue that this was a huge mistake Please note my earlier comments. Greatest team ever. But also as great as that the 2001 team was, they're lacking rings. And another fun fact, spring training 2002, every person on that team showed up one year older. It Uh, happens. Yeah. I mean, and that's the funny thing about baseball. Like if you're under 30, guys like Mike Cameron showed up stronger. Ichiro came back smarter he'd adapted I mean, to american baseball he's, he's, you know, each, he's each, yeah, each, yeah he's each, each, row. each row, right i mean guys like edgar martinez john olerud and some of the other 30 plus year old guys showed up slower and not as amazing uh jamie moyer was exempt from that because you know he was already 500 years old so <laughs>
0: he played another 20 years so there <laughs> <Right. you go. laughs>
1: Pro- proportionately he yeah he he was fine he actually was fine so the only big move the Mariners made in the off season after that historic 2001 series, they added Jeff Cirillo. That was it. <laughs> Jeff Cirillo. I think he was the chief on uh, Hill Street Blues.
0: I mean, he might have been. What was their pitching staff like? I, I know they had Randy. Did they have Randy Johnson at that no, point? No, Ran- Randy, Johnson, Randy was Johnson was gone. Done. So
1: Moyer what was, was the the starter. So um, John Halama was pitching for oh, them. I really um, freddie garcia came into the next at some point
0: right right right
1: so good guys good pitchers but adding just jeff cirillo was not the key to winning 117 games or even 100 games or the world series or making the playoffs at all the 2002 team won 93 games which is great right like you wish yeah. your team was winning 93 games this year. I wish my team was winning 93 games this year. But this was in the the olden times before we had the jumbo wildcard slots.
0: Before where, everybody made the playoffs.
1: Yeah, where the participation trophies of Major League Baseball are you get a playoff slot somehow. So 93 wins. You know what 93 wins got you in 2002? Third place. And no playoff slots. Oakland had won 103 games that year. The Angels were ahead of us just by a Speaking
0: snooge. of regrets,
1: <laughs> Oakland. Oh, boy. Oakland's got regrets. The Angels have regrets. I feel like the, the Rangers have no regrets yet. Right
0: now, I mean, the Texas looks pretty, uh, is making a comeback. So they're yeah. looking pretty solid.
1: Now they're rocking it. And good, you know, good for them. It, everybody gets their day in the sun except the Seattle Mariners.
0: I think the Pittsburgh Pirates would like to
1: to talk to you about that, but, but go ahead. That's true, but I do remember the Pirates winning a World Series in my lifetime, and that includes going to a World Series as well.
0: Okay, but the, so, so that was the, the 70s, right? They, yes. they won the World Series in the 70s, and there was... Uh, sorry.
1: 1979, and uh, that was the same year that Sister Sledge won a Grammy for We Are a Family. Okay. So, That's you know, funny. it all works out really well if you're firing on all cylinders. But what do you do? So you you went from 116 wins to 93 wins, and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. But you also didn't build on that success. Now I wanted to see those guys from 2001 come back because I loved them. They were such a good team, like genuinely like te- like a teamwork kind of team. Mm-hmm. And you know they had me on my feet so many times. It was I had not yet moved to Seattle, but I was i had already made plans i actually bought season tickets for the 2001 series mid-season because i was so into it i actually still have my world series stubs somewhere in a drawer that say uh, seattle mariners versus national league champions and i i think they were okay seats (laughs) but i never got to use them because they never played the game i couldn't cut any of those guys i couldn't cut John Olerud, I love John Olerud. Edgar Martinez, like Mariner for life. He he went until he's done. He's he's sticking around. So the thing is, they didn't get the job done. I would have been a terrible general manager because I would have been sentimental. I looked at the free agent list in the off season of two thousand and one. Barry Bonds, uh, realistically, he was never going anywhere, right? But still, he was right. available. Johnny Damon, Jason Giambi, Chan Ho Park. Yeah. John Smoltz? These would have all been massive upgrades. Jeff Cirillo? Not so much. Not so much. I know the Mariners had money because they sold out every game in the second half of 2001, and their TV ratings were way up, so they could have done it. So 2002, a sentimental misfire. 2003? Well, they kept the same team more or less intact. The Biggest acquisition was the weirdest acquisition. We picked up Randy Wynn from Tampa Bay, who was pretty decent, like kind of like a Mike Cameron light kind of outfielder. Do you um, do you remember who the Mariners gave up to get Randy Wynn from Tampa Bay?
0: Oh, um, I don't. I, th- I I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know there have been. I know they've given up some really good prospects. But go ahead.
1: Well, this 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 is the opposite of a prospect. They oh. They allowed Lou Piniella to go manage in Tampa. That's right. That's but they, right. I forgot they, they de- about that. They demanded a primo player in exchange. I, that That is still, I think, one of the few times that I've seen a player-manager swap. Technically, you know, they traded for some minor leaguers or something like that. But may have been the only time that a... A manager who was not a player manager. We haven't done a callback and we're always player managers. Player managers, play player manager. Manager. <laughs> season one, Matt Hobbs, let's go. go. So we lost maybe the best manager we've ever had and we got Randy Wynn. And that's basically it. That was the majority of the big deals in the 2003 season. So what did that get us? Hey, 93 wins. Again, 93 wins in 2003 got you second place and no playoffs. Two thousand four, same team, mostly sixty three wins. Ooh. Oops! You know what that Ooh. gets you? nada. <laughs> last place playoffs. No, I am not going to go past two thousand and four because it's too painful for me, and I'm probably painful to anybody listening. Like, hey, hey here's a guy reading a list of of uh, years. Let's just say. That the playoff drought that started in 2002 lingered for another 20 years—a playoff drought, not the World Series drought. The World Series drought is still, oh my God, like 40, 40, years and counting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, they it,
0: made it dropped. last year. They made they made it to a wild card. The wild card. So there you go.
1: The Mariners' ownership, the GM Pat Gillick. I mean, they gave the people what they wanted. Everybody wanted to keep those lovely fellas of 2001 and keep them coming out because they won 116 games and that is that weird irrationality that we all have as baseball fans we get it in our heads it's like well they won 116 games last year they could easily win 120 this year you know it's also the same guys that would call into sports radio uh shows and say well you know I think the uh, Yankees should trade Aaron judge to the Dodgers. It's like, okay, so who from the Dodgers would you send to the Yankees? It's like, um, just like a uh, minor league guys. Why would the Yankees accept that deal? Like, well, I mean, it would be good for the Dodgers.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but- I, I always, I, I always love those trades. I get some of those trades to me in my, in, uh, my fantasy baseball league where it's like, why are you handing me a lot of crap for one really good player? That's not
1: how it works. <laughs> well, like- I, I mean, because cause I felt like it. <laughs> it's
0: like, also, I don't have the roster space for it. But, you know, yeah. thanks. Thanks <laughs> thanks for, for playing. <laughs> but,
1: but ultimately, we all think like that at some point. There's this weird, like, leap of faith or, like, you know, magical reality that we live in. It's like, okay, if we keep this team together, they'll only be better next year. The Mariners gave the people what they wanted. But I think what they really gave us was what... They thought we wanted, and that was a magically impossible team to keep together. What we really want is a trophy, and we want rings on everybody's fingers at the end of the season. That is what we all dream of. That sometimes requires ripping a team apart, not Marlin style. You know, nobody needs to do that. But maybe you cut some of your best guys, or some not maybe you cut some of your favorite guys doesn't have to be your best guys beloved hometown heroes what if they had brought in jason Giambi? what if they had brought in john smoltz and you say well john olerud you're 34 years old you've been great you've got rings from toronto you're not going to get one in seattle but jason Giambi might you've got to face reality and you've got to go in or else you're going to have lingering regrets like i do of waiting 20 years for a playoff appearance which admittedly blue jays mariners last season was amazing mariners astros last season not, not so, much. so much i never second guessed this as a new seattle resident as somebody that had a full season of season tickets for the first time in my life i was like i want to see all these guys come back i think they're great but now i've had 20 years to think about it and it's like yeah, well, we should have kept shaken up that team and no sacred cows either find the next piece we don't need to win 117 games but we need to go deeper in the playoffs and whatever that means better pitching staff more clutch guys who you know hard to say and that's where we armchair this to the death as baseball fans and we give ourselves more regrets
0: more regrets that's right like what if you built what if you had a masher behind Ichiro who was an on based machine you know what if you and i think that's kind of been the the mariner's problem i know they brought in robinson cano at the wrong part of his career but it was a bold move but um they've never like right now they've got i'm i'm concerned that they've got j-rod on the team and there are they going to waste his best years like they did with felix um because they've and they've got some pitching they've got some great pitching because that's the one thing the mariners have always been able to have that they, they, they've done well is, is produced some some good pitchers they've traded for some good pitchers but they really they need some some consistency they need like a big a couple of big scary guys in that lineup who you know who when they come up your you are concerned the pitchers are are going to have to you know buckle down to get them out and they've not really done that and since I've been here and certainly you know what could what could have been if they if Ichiro had had some some great protection around him as far as uh, scary home run hitters absolutely Not that Ichiro couldn't hit home runs but you know what I mean
1: I mean that's a what if too like what if you decided Ichiro was your your power hitter in the 3 slot because I think he could have done it.
0: Yeah, but he Ichiro, can't do the well. alone.
1: Yeah, Ichiro batting practice stories were amazing, like that he could hit the ball farther than Griffey.
0: Yeah, I I mean, he there was not a lot that Ichiro can't do. I mean, he's, he's
1: yeah.
0: a, like a generational talent.
1: Well, luckily for the Mariners, you only need one guy next year that just happens to be a pitcher and a batter. You we know, have they, the money. Let, if, let us not have lingering regrets about not getting Shohei Otani on this team
0: no. And I mean I always say this with owners too, big market, small market. Like these guys are billionaires. These these guys have a lot of money. It's what they want to invest in the team because they will with with merchandise and concession sa- sales and ticket sales and then if they get to the playoffs, those are even more expensive. They're printing money. So it's what their priorities are. are they happy with the status quo. We're making enough money here, but like you know, do something to make the fan base happy. And I, I don't really have my pulse on the Seattle Mariners ownership. I don't really um, pay close attention to that. I, but um, th- this is a team. This is a city that is hungry for a winner, and we see how they support their teams that that win, including their their women's teams. So,
1: and our pro basketball team. Oops!
0: No. Oh, that yeah.
1: <laughs> Go Sonics! Come back, Sonics!
0: I mean, could happen. Could happen. It could happen.
1: Mariners World Series or the Sonics come back. Oh God, a, that's it.
0: So <laughs> talk about a raffle.
1: <laughs> yes, talk about magical thinking uh, at play too. Wellness check. How are you doing?
0: I think I'm doing yeah. okay. I always feel better after the airing of the grievances.
1: Feel like the dark clouds have parted a little bit. A little bit. I feel like your lingering regrets in 1994 were were waved away a little bit. It, it, yeah. at different points in the last 25 plus years.
0: For sure. I always say I am very, very spoiled. I have been alive to see my team win seven World Series. And that's for when I was a kid. A lot of people don't have that. And that's just my baseball team. I'm not as into some other sports as much as I am baseball. But yeah, I am in no position. I, I need to shut up when other people can play. <laughs> I
1: mean, I consider myself lucky too, to have been alive
0: There's that. I don't know what you do, Mark. If your team won, I, I I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a little concerned. What would happen if the Mariners win the World Series? Like, what your reaction would be to that? I, I I don't know if you could handle it.
1: I think this is the thing, and you know, you're you're talking big over there, like that you've won seven World Series in your lifetime. But I know that you are absolutely like a freak show when there's a playoff game of any import with your team. You're full of like nerves and anxiety. I get full of nerves and anxiety. Like even like when the Mariners get close to the playoffs, I'm like in September, I'm like, Oh, what's going to happen. You just, you get it more in October. Yeah. So I I don't understand that. It's like in October, that's a time of rest. <laughs> And tranquility <laughs> for me. <laughs>
0: well, it will be this year for me. So
1: <laughs> I have some great book recommendations and some okay. shows to binge and things like that because that's what I do in October typically. I'll share share my reading list from last fall.
0: We do some apple picking, maybe have some some uh cider donuts, you know. Yeah. Ready for spooky season.
1: Exactly. <laughs> The fans are heading home, the grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the Stadium, organ. I'm Mark Butler.
0: And I'm Jackie McCucci.
1: And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else.